joy to be here. And it's great to see how more and more churches are getting started right across the UK and, of course, now in God's mercy, many, many nations as uh, New Frontiers has spread out. So it's, uh, it's great to be here. And I do hope and pray I can be a blessing to you in the Word. And if you want to follow with me, I'm going to read a little passage from Acts and chapter 1. Acts and chapter 1. Uh, I just mentioned also there's a, a table of some books outside that I'd recommend to you, uh, one called the Spirit-Filled Church, one if you're wondering about the history of our group of churches called No Well-Worn Paths, uh, this one called God Knows You Are Human, which is great news, eh? <laughs> and uh, it's a, a book full of really stories, narratives of how God helps people when they hit difficulties, crises, and puts them together again. And some of us, we kind of meet God more in stories than we do in principles. So you might find that book helpful. So there's a little table just outside the door there with those books. Okay, I've been invited to address the theme of the Holy Spirit, and I'm happy to do that, and especially our experience of the Spirit, our coming in to know the Holy Spirit in a dynamic way. And so we're looking at that together this evening. So in Acts chapter 1, let's read from verse 4. I'm reading from the uh, New American Standard Bible, so it may differ here and there with words if you're using a different translation. Gathering them together, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And when they'd come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father's fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, after he said these things, he was lifted up, and while they were looking on, a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white, clothed clothing, stood beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Lord Jesus, we're so delighted to know the one who has all authority, the one who will come again in splendor and glory with angels, with the trumpet sound, when you will restore all things, when you will create new heavens, new earth, Grant to us new bodies. Lord, we thank you that we will see you face to face. We'll be changed in a moment. We thank you that day is ever getting closer. And Lord Jesus, we honor you as our great king and captain. We honor you as the Lord of the universe. And we bless you that you're with us now by your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we ask you, please take your word, speak it into our hearts so that it has impact on us and that we benefit, Father, from reading the Scriptures, from explaining them, expounding them. May the Word of God come to us with power. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So here are 
uh, the disciples being gathered by the Lord Jesus, and he's speaking words of incredible encouragement, and yet of, as it were, warning to them, they're not to scatter, they're not to begin this ministry he's prepared them for. He'd been preparing these 12 apostles for a work of global significance. He, saw, he told them that all the nations were to come to understand why he had come, what had been accomplished on the cross by his mighty resurrection. World history has been changed. They have to go and tell the nations. But he says, look, before you start, before you enter into this magnificent adventure, you need to wait because you're going to be clothed with power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you can begin this great adventure of going to all the nations. Wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, these were Jewish men. Uh, their background was uh, uh, in Jewish history. They knew their Bibles. And so this concept of the Spirit coming upon them was not a new concept. They would have known that their Bibles uh, were full of such stories where we read of a man like Gideon, for instance, one of the judges in the Bible, who we're told God came to him and began to speak to him about what was lying ahead for him, uh, that he was his instrument. And Gideon said, but I'm scared. I couldn't possibly do it. And then it says this, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, clothed himself with Gideon. And Gideon became a mighty warrior. He was transformed from being frightened, hidden away, uh, insignificant, to becoming a hugely courageous leader. And it was when the Spirit came upon him, similar with King David, who was just a, a lad, and Samuel the prophet came to him. God sent him to this young man whom God had already seen something of the beauty of the character of the guy and what was happening in his life. And then Samuel, it says, poured oil upon his head, and the Spirit came mightily upon David from that day. And David became powerful, a powerful warrior. And of course took out Goliath, but then became also a, a great warrior king leading God's army. He was transformed when the Spirit came on him. That, that frequently happens in the Old Testament. We find, uh, for instance, to Elisha, when he knew he had to take over when Elijah finished his ministry, and it was made clear to him, you, you are going to replace what I began, you're going to continue. And Elisha was chosen by God. Elijah told him, you're the chosen one. And then Elisha said, if I'm going to do what you did, I must have the same power that you had. How can I continue what you started unless I have your spirit, the spirit that's on you? And so Elijah tells him how that's going to come about. And certainly the spirit that was on Elijah comes upon Elisha and he begins a phenomenal ministry. Moses is told to lay hands on Joshua so that the Spirit's been on Moses can come on Joshua. So here we have this concept. Now wait until you're endued with power and they would have thought, oh, well, we know about that. That's, uh, that's in our ancient history that the Spirit came upon people. And usually in the Old Testament it was upon kings, judges, prophets, priests arguably. These were people particularly gifted with the Spirit. They were fairly rare in the Old Testament, just isolated individuals in the main. Though there was a time when Moses, we're told, said, I can't do all this. God, this is so demanding. How on earth do you look after two million people? And uh, he was getting worn down, and he complained to God about it. And God said, right, choose out some 70 leaders, 
and 70 leaders among the tribes were selected. And it says God took some of the spirit that was on Moses and placed it on the 70. And they started prophesying and they shared responsibility, empowered by the same Holy Spirit. So there's Old Testament history. Jesus said, now don't start until you're empowered. You've got to know this coming upon of the Holy Spirit. Just one more thing, that in the Old Testament, these individuals received, but there, there came also a line of prophesying. Isaiah, first of all, then later Joel the prophet says this, in the last days, I'll pour my Spirit on all flesh. What was for isolated individuals in the Old Testament is going to become widespread. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. There's going to come an outpouring of the Spirit, uh, uh, an age of what Paul calls later the dispensation of the Spirit. It's like another age, a time when the Spirit is far more widely experience. No longer just isolated judges and isolated kings. Wow, he's full of the Spirit. Look at David. He's different to all the rest of us. No, no. It's going to be widespread. Your sons, your daughters, they'll prophesy. They'll know things supernaturally shown to them. And so this dispensation was going to be ushered in by the arrival of the Messiah. He himself being anointed with the Spirit, and we find Jesus fulfilled that when he was baptized in water. It says, as he was baptized in water, he'd lived a, a spotless, innocent life for 30 years. He did no public ministry. He prayed for no one. He healed no one. He gave no teaching. He was just secretly being prepared. And then came to this being baptized in water. John the Baptist baptized him. And when that happened, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, equipped Jesus. So he was, if you like, the forerunner of the apostles. He was clothed with power and very shortly after that quoted scripture says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach, to bring deliverance, to heal, etc. God has anointed me for this holy task. And he was going to usher in the age of the Spirit. And so he's uh, said these words to the disciples, they were to wait for the coming of the Spirit. And that was to usher in an age of the Spirit. Now we know what happened. They waited, and they waited until the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, we're told, they were waiting in a, a room, and the Spirit suddenly came. There was a, a mighty rushing tornado. It must have been terrifying. The sound, I don't know if you've ever been in tornado conditions, but we're talking about a mighty rushing wind. We're not talking about a little breeze. Something phenomenal happened, and then fire fell from heaven and rested on each one of these guys, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in new tongues. And whereas before, rather like Gideon in the Old Testament, they were kind of hidden away, uh, as Gideon was hidden in a cave, scared of the enemy. Uh, these guys were hidden in the upper room for fear of the Jews. It says, the Spirit came on them, and they burst out into the... They were transformed. These scared guys, like Simon Peter said, I don't know Jesus. And Jesus had warned him, you're going to have a tough... No, 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 I'll be fine, he said. But then when the tough time came, 
he said to a little girl, no, I don't know, I'm not with Jesus, no, I don't know him. But your accent, no, 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 I really never, I don't know. Three times, I don't know him. When the power of the Spirit came upon him, he was transformed and boldly proclaimed, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up, whereof we are witnesses. And he's poured out this upon us. And then he said this to them, the promise is for you and for your children. This promise of the Spirit, it's, it's widespread, it's for you, it's for all who call upon the name of the Lord. And so he said to these people who a few weeks before had crucified Jesus, if you will repent, be baptized, you can receive this power of the Holy Spirit. You can experience also the coming upon of the Spirit. What we are manifesting, we are, because they said, what is this? And they said, we're not drunk as you think. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. They look so happy. They look so joyful, released, all the things you associate with a drunk crowd. It's a strange way to start the church, eh? Strange way, you know, the first church synod, a lot of drunks pour on the street, and they're overwhelmed with the glory of God, and they're praising God in new languages. Then they weren't preaching in those languages, they're praising God, it says. They're praising God in these extraordinary languages they've never learned. And then Peter preaching in a common language, probably preaching in Greek, he preaches to these gathered crowd and they hear the gospel and there's 3,000 get saved because grace has been liberated among them. It's wonderful if you compare it with the Old Testament. In the Old Testament when they made a golden calf, when Moses was up in the mountain and down in the valley they made a golden calf and when Moses came down 3,000 died for making a golden calf. God's judgment swept through. You think, what's going to happen now? They didn't just make a golden calf. They crucified the Lord of glory. And when the apostles came down from the upper room, 3,000 get saved. A day of grace has begun. A day of mercy, of forgiveness, acceptance, and the coming of God in power. Now that's the Bible background. That's the introduction to the coming upon of the Spirit in the New Testament here. And for some of us, we, we might say, well, is that something then that is promised to us? Is that something I can know? And for myself, I was uh, saved when I was about 16. I was very, very backslidden. I didn't come from a Christian family. My parents didn't know the Lord. I didn't have any encouragement at home. And I just found it very hard to get into church culture. Uh, I was very committed to another kind of culture and uh, it took me some years to really begin to sort myself out. And then I had a crisis one Sunday, I'm just in church, I used to go to church but nothing else had changed much. And one Sunday the guy preached and it really, for the first time in my life, I knew something of the fear of God. I felt God said to me, are you mine or not? Do you mean business or not? And I knew I was a Christian, but I felt like God said to me, I want your life. And I had that sense like it's now or never. That's how it felt. I mean, I was for the first time in my life, I, I think I was scared of God for the first time. I knew I was a Christian. I'd been a Christian probably four years. And suddenly I just felt God saying, I want you. And I knew my life was in a mess. I knew I was not enjoying my Christianity or anything, really, because I was looking both ways. I was looking this way and that way, and you could never get satisfied. 
And so then I thought, right, I want to serve you. And I made some very big choices. I dropped a lot of life contacts. I lost a lot of friends. My unsaved parents said, be careful, you're going so religious, you're losing your friends, what are you doing? But I wanted to live for God now. But it's funny, when I wanted to, I felt so powerless. I, when I was backslidden, I didn't need any power to be backslidden, but when I wanted to serve God, I felt, I just don't seem to have the equipment. I felt I so often wasn't able to do what I wanted to do, especially to own the name of Jesus. So, for instance, often uh, in the workplace, I think maybe some people in, where I worked knew I went to church, but I never told them, I believe in Jesus. Jesus has taken away all my sin. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the Lord of history. I never witnessed about Jesus. And Jesus said this, you, when the Spirit comes, you'll be witnesses. And I knew I wasn't. And I knew I actually I was rather like Simon Peter, who when they said, are you with Jesus? He said, well, no, not really. And I would, I would miss opportunities. And, and I began to get so hungry. I was going to a Baptist church, wonderful, wonderful pastor, really wonderful preacher, lovely pastor, and he used to preach about the Holy Spirit, and he kind of said, there's more for you. And I thought, well, what more? I think I need more. And I began to read and look and research, and it seemed like there were at least three different positions that people held. There were those who uh, said, well, actually, no, that's it. You've got it. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, and that's all there is to say about it. Uh, there's nothing more, and uh, that, 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 that's the way it is. Being filled with the Spirit, well, that's a Bible phrase. Um, yeah, it'll happen gradually. Over the Christian life, you'll gradually grow, you'll gradually be filled. As you grow more mature, uh, yes, that's there, but that's it. And then there were others. Um, in those days, you might call it what was called Keswick teaching. That wouldn't be Keswick teaching anymore, but... Uh, in those days, there was a kind of teaching that was called second blessing. And it was like you became, a, you became a Christian when you made Jesus your Savior, and then later, you kind of surrendered and made him your Lord. And, and when, you, when you said, Lord, I, okay, and now I give you myself, and I just surrender myself completely to you. And if you read the old sermons of the Keswick Convention, you'll find often um, the illustration of emptying out the glass. You'll find it there many times. You have to, if you're going to be filled, you need to empty out. And then that sort of automatically happens. You, you just surrender. It's like a later crisis, a second blessing. And then there was the third teaching, if you like, which uh, seemed to be what Pentecostals were saying, namely that you wait, you, you wait, they waited, and then the Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues, and, and that's, that's what happens. So you have to wait somewhere for that to happen to you. Now, that honestly seemed to be the three positions, and I found that very confusing uh, because, well, I remember reading John Stott, one of my great heroes. He said, you've got everything. I then read Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, my other great hero, and he said, no, you have to wait for it to come upon you. I thought, well, if these two guys can't sort it out, what hope is there for me? <laughs> and I kind of thought, oh, forget it. You'll never, you'll never sort this out. Later on, I found God met with me in a powerful way, but I'll come back to that later on. I'd, what I'd like to do is look at what happened in the Bible so that we might understand what the Bible says about it. 
It's important to see that in the Gospels, the Gospels are pointing forward saying, as Jesus, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, he, Jesus, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And the Gospels point forward to what Jesus will do, that Jesus will give the Holy Spirit. That's the way that the Gospels look. When you look at the epistles, they're looking back to people who have received the Spirit. They're taking it for granted. That's what happened to you. It's the same as water baptism. In the epistles, no, no epistle tells you you should be baptized. It all takes for granted you have been. It's looking back. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. The, the epistles are looking back. The only passage in the Bible that tells you how it happened is the book of Acts. And so we need to look at the book of Acts to see what actually happened, because the Gospel says the Spirit will come, the Epistles say you were sealed with the Spirit. So what happened? How did it come? How did He come upon the church? And so we're just going to look at uh, some passages in Acts, and I want to bring out some features, and we'll just quickly do a, a kind of quick overview. So we've just quickly mentioned the day of Pentecost, but the day of Pentecost itself is a little difficult to use inasmuch as the people who experienced the Spirit there were followers of Jesus even before the cross and before the resurrection and before Pentecost and after Pentecost. They lived through the whole thing. And so it's a bit difficult to kind of build a doctrine on the guys who they were already believed. How do you believe in Jesus before the cross, before the resurrection? How come Jesus said to them in Acts in, on John 15, you are clean, well, the, the cross hasn't happened yet. You're clean through the word I've spoken. You know, it's hard to follow their experience because it overlaps the actual things that happened. But what happened to guys after all these things ties in with us. Do you hear what I'm saying? What happened to people afterwards? So let's have a look. Let's look at, for instance, Acts chapter 8. We find here a, a group of people are going to hear the gospel after Jesus has died, he's been raised from the dead, the day of Pentecost has happened. Right, here are people going to find out, like us. We can, we can uh, compare ourselves with these people. So it says that Philip was preaching in Samaria, and I'm just reading from verse 12. When they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike. And then it tells us about a sorcerer whom we won't bother with. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here, these people were converted when they heard Philip preach the gospel. They received the word, no question there. They clearly became Christians. Philip baptized them. These are Christians. They've thoroughly accepted the word. When the message gets down to Jerusalem, the apostles say, hey, people are becoming Christians in Samaria. They come and see them, and it says, they observed the Spirit had not yet fallen on them, 
So they laid hands on them, and the Spirit came upon them. Okay, that's, that's uh, a simple account. What I'm going to do is look at the facts, and then we'll put them all together uh, when we've looked at each one of them. So here we have people whose testimony would be this. When Philip preached, I got saved. Some days later, we don't know how many days, some people came down, laid hands on us, and the Spirit came upon us. A separate experience with the laying on of hands. If you turn over in Acts chapter 9, you'll find that the Apostle Paul was converted on the Damascus Road, uh, the most famous conversion probably in the New Testament. And uh, not only was he converted on the Damascus Road, but he was made blind by the bright light that he saw. And then Ananias, an unknown disciple, was sent to him. Not an apostle on this occasion, but an unknown disciple. And Je Jesus sent him to uh, the Apostle Paul, still called Saul at this time. And verse 17, it says this, Ananias, laying hands on him, said, Brother Saul, okay, this is my Christian brother now, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Paul's testimony would be this. I was converted on the Damascus Road. That's where I saw the Lord. And uh, he gives his testimony two or three times in the book of Acts. He experienced conversion. But three days later, hands were laid on him and he received the Holy Spirit. It says so quite simply here in the text. Then in Acts chapter 10, you'll find Peter is preaching in Cornelius' home. You may remember the story. Cornelius is a Gentile. He has a dream, a vision, and sends for the Apostle Peter, who comes to him. The Apostle Peter has also had a vision. He sees a sheep coming down out of heaven with unclean animals. And he's told, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter, being a good Jewish guy, says, I don't touch that sort of stuff. I've never eaten an unclean... I don't touch unclean things. And this vision happens again, and, and he feels God is getting to him, getting under his skin, helping him to give a new perspective. Then Cornelius comes to the door, or at least his representatives, and say to him, God has sent us to you. You are to come with us. And Peter, I can imagine being terrified, really, because he's going to go into a Gentile home, which is off-limits for a Jew. He's going to enter one of their homes. That's going to make him ceremonially unclean. That's just not something a Jewish guy would do. And, uh, and yet he goes, because the Spirit has spoken him to go, and, and he begins to preach to them about Jesus. And while he is speaking, we read in the passage, while Peter was speaking, verse 44 of Acts chapter 10, while... Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to his message. And the circumcised believers who came with Peter, that is the Jewish believers, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on these Gentiles. For they heard them speaking with tongues 
and praising God. And Peter said, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who've received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized. And then one more case, one more case, Acts chapter 19, and then we'll look at what's common and look to see what kind of pattern is emerging when we look at the book of Acts about the coming of the Spirit on new believers. So Acts chapter 19, in Ephesus, Paul um, comes through Ephesus and meets a dozen disciples, it says. Verse 2, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said, into what then were you baptized? They said, John's baptism. Now, these people are described as disciples, and that would tend to make you think they're Christians, but it becomes clear as we read the passage that actually they're not yet Christians. They are followers or disciples of John the Baptist. That becomes very apparent in a moment. They're disciples of John the Baptist. In fact, you'll find disciples referred to elsewhere. In Acts, Paul's disciples are referred to, and of course Jesus' disciples. But here it turns out to be John's disciples. John the Baptist had a famous revival. It says all Judea went out to hear him, and so his message went far and wide. What was John's message? Repent. Get ready. The mountains will be brought down. The valleys will be lifted up. Get ready, because the Lord is coming. And that message of repentance had gone far and wide and had reached here. And so, yeah, what were you baptized into? John's baptism, they reply. Verse 4, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is Jesus. Now, obviously, that's a very uh, succinct statement of what Paul went on to explain about Jesus. Let's just put in a simple verse here. He tells them about Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, they now heard the gospel, and now they've embraced the gospel of our Lord Jesus, and Paul baptizes them. And then it says this, then, when Paul laid his hands on them, and you get the sense that they're kind of still uh, dripping with the water of baptism, he lays his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 of them. So that's the experience of uh, this Ephesian group there. They've already heard John's message, so they're somewhat prepared but Paul leads them to Christ. When they receive the gospel, he baptizes them. Then, they're the freshly converted, he lays hands upon them, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them, like at Samaria, but not with a three-day or four-day gap. Here, they're still dripping water from their baptism. He lays hands on them, the Spirit comes upon them, they speak with tongues, they prophesy, the manifestation of the Spirit is there with them. Okay, those are the cases that the book of Acts describes. So let's just go back to what I said were the three positions 
that seemed uh, popular when I began searching and longing, can I know more? Is there more for me? Is there some power that will set me free from my limitations? And I, I looked at these, and, and, and I would say this. The first teaching that says, by conversion you've automatically got everything, well, it wasn't true for the Samaritans. They, had, they were saved, and then later, hands were laid on them and the Spirit came upon them. It wasn't automatic for them. It wasn't automatic for the Apostle Paul. Paul's own testimony would be, actually it was three days later, the Spirit came upon me. It wasn't automatic for these in Ephesus. He's baptized them, but then he lays hands on them. And also, of course, the teaching that was common, that we know you've received everything at conversion, Where's the laying of hands go? Well, we don't even believe in that anymore, as it were. That's not part of the deal. And yet, that's very biblical. And so here you find now the coming of the Spirit separate to conversion. So that idea that it's automatic, now of course it's the Holy Spirit who gives us the new birth. We're conceived of the Spirit. Jesus was conceived of the Spirit, but he still was empowered by the Spirit as another experience. We are born of the Spirit. You can't be born again without the Holy Spirit awakening you. But the coming upon of the Spirit is separate in these passages. That's what the Scripture is saying. And also, I would just say this, that if you ask those who say, well, if you've received everything at conversion, well, are you full of the Spirit then? Very often the answer would be, well, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself full of the Spirit, but you know we're working toward that. That might happen as the years slip by. I hope I'll grow in, in the Holy Spirit. That, so are you, have you been filled with the Spirit? Well, I'm not sure I would answer in that way. But if you ask these Ephesians, when Paul comes to them and says, have you received the Spirit? They say, no. After he laid hands on them, and they're speaking with tongues and prophesying, if he said to them then, now have you received the Spirit? I don't think they'd have said, well, we're, we're moving into that. They'd have just said, yes, yes, we have. First of all, no, we haven't. Hands laid on, yes, we have. And so the teaching that says, well, no, no, you, you know, that's kind of something, it's non-experimental, but you, gradually you grow into it. That doesn't seem to be in the Bible, actually. It doesn't seem to be there. What you do find is these guys, hands are laid on them, the Spirit comes upon them, and he meets with them. The teaching also that I called the old Keswick teaching, that kind of second blessing that you sometimes hear people refer to, again, I can't find it in the Bible as such. I can't find that you make Jesus your Savior, and then later you make Jesus your Lord, and that's the baptism of the Spirit. What do I mean? Well, I mean this. I do believe that people have all kinds of crises in their Christian life. I, I would say that for myself. I would say I was very, I got saved, but I was already very, I got backslidden day two. I was just a useless Christian. And then later, I honestly, I did, I, I changed my whole lifestyle. I changed my friendship pattern. I, I changed everything. I put Jesus first in my life. And I, I, as far as I knew how, I made him my Lord. I, I lost virtually everybody. I went through a very difficult time. But that didn't fill me with anything. It didn't lead to my 
being automatically filled because I made Jesus my Lord. And in fact, in the, in the Bible, you wouldn't describe that from biblical terminology as being the baptism of the Spirit. Now, I don't want to take away from the privilege of any... I, I think as you walk with Jesus through your life, you've just had lots of experiences of Jesus. Many things happen, many things, many crises, difficult times, better times, breakthrough times, more fillings and so on. But to call any one of those the baptism of the Spirit, when in the Bible it's quite explicit that that happens to these guys at the beginning, not when, well, that was when you make him Lord, down the track. Someone said, it's like saying to a general, saying to his army, go and fight. And if you do really well, next time you go, you can have a gun. <laughs> now, Jesus said, don't even think about going until you've been clothed with power. It's not like it's a blessing down the road. You need the power to get into the battle. And so that teaching, which I, I called second blessing or the old Keswick teaching, it doesn't, it doesn't fit with the Bible. So I would say the first teaching which says, well, you've got everything actually, I don't think you can see that in the Bible. Secondly, the teaching says, well, it's a later second crisis. I don't think that's in the Bible. So what about what I called the Pentecostal one, which was what? Well, find an upper room somewhere and wait. And, and I, I, was, I began to get ever so longing to find answer because I found I failed him so many times and I met Pentecostal, they said, oh, you have to go and wait somewhere. But is that what was said in the Bible? I would say that that's only said on the day of Pentecost. Only in the run-up to the day of Pentecost, people are told, wait. Did you notice that? After the day of Pentecost, no one was ever told to wait. Isn't that interesting? They were told to wait, and then the Spirit came, then no one was told to wait after that. So for instance, when, when, they, when the Samaritans, they're saved through Philip's preaching, Peter and John come down, they say, there's no Holy Spirit here. They don't say, oh, you better go and find an upper room somewhere. You better go and wait. They just lay hands on them. No one's told to wait. Just lay hands and the Spirit came on them. When, when Ananias comes to Paul, he doesn't say, now Paul, you're going to be an apostle one day, you better go and find an upper room somewhere and wait. Ananias lays hands on them. Simple. Acts 19. These guys have only just come out of the waters of baptism. They don't have time to wait. He lays hands on them. And the Spirit comes upon them. And so the doctrine that says, well, you have to wait, you have to wait, you know, they waited for days. But from that time on, no one was ever told to wait. So what's the key to that? Why? If you just turn, if you have your Bible with you, to John 7, and we'll, we'll wind up with this passage. John 7, I believe, is the key that uh, unlocks all this for us. John 7, verse 37. If someone could get me a glass of water, I'd really appreciate it. I don't know if it's possible. If, if I would just thank you so much. John 7, 37. It says, On the great day of the feast... Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anybody is thirsty, let him come to me. It's just that verse probably reminded me. I'm sorry. <laughs> if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from, that, from his innermost being 
will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were yet to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, let's just pause with this for a moment. One day, and it was on a particular feast day, when ceremonially they would have poured out water, Jesus pushed through the crowd and shouted out, If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. And, and if you'd pushed through the crowd that day and said, Yeah, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Thank you so much. <laughs> I am thirsty. <laughs> Sorry about this. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. He would have actually said, not yet. That's what the passage says. If you say, yeah, me, I'm thirsty, not yet. But you said, not yet. It's like a prophetic statement. If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink, but not yet. This he spoke of the Spirit who, the, who those who believed in him were to receive, but the Spirit was not yet. Because, what? Well, they're not holy enough. They're not very impressive. No, actually, it's nothing to do with them. It says the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. That's why it was not yet. The Holy Spirit was the gift of the day of Pentecost. It was the gift that celebrated the ascension of Jesus, the enthronement of Jesus, it actually, the day of Pentecost celebrated two things in the Jewish mind. One was the giving of the law, two was the harvest. It was like harvest festival, and it was also the giving of the law. And God determines that on the day of Pentecost, that day, just like Jesus died at the Passover, he fulfilled the Passover. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. So Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament. You can't understand the Old Testament without Jesus. He fulfills the whole thing. And the day of Pentecost was the day when the, the law would be given no longer on stone but be written in people's hearts and when there would be a wonderful harvest. The day of Pentecost, that would be the day when the Spirit would be poured out. And it's almost like Peter preached on this verse. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he said this, This Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up. And he now being exalted, glorified, at the right hand of the Father, has poured out this. The Spirit is not yet given. Why? Because he's not yet glorified. Day of Pentecost, the Spirit is now given. Why? Because he is glorified. So now the Spirit is freely available. That's why when these guys down at Samaria are led to Christ by Philip the Evangelist, the apostles come and say, oh, you haven't received the Spirit. They lay hands on them. They receive the Spirit immediately. When Paul is got saved, Ananias goes to him, lays hands on him, he receives the Spirit. These guys in Ephesus, they're now saved. Of course, of course, the Holy Spirit is available. The promise is for everyone. The Lord our God shall call. The promise is for everyone. It can happen sometimes, like it did in Acts 10, in Cornelius' house, so spontaneously the Spirit fell upon them while they were still listening to the Gospel. That's an exception. There's something coming upon them. They start speaking in tongues. And Peter says, wow, you've received the Spirit like we did. He didn't expect that as a Jewish Christian. But God demonstrated, no, no, the door's wide open. 
the Spirit's falling upon the nations as Jesus is honoured and respected. And so, where do we fit? <laughs> as I was feeling, where do I fit? I know for myself, if I may just give personal testimony, I, I, I was longing for more. I really was desperate. And then I got confused and I thought, oh, I don't know, I can't work it out. And it came to a kind of crisis for me. One Sunday, I remember it very vividly, I was, I was walking along uh, Brighton seafront and actually uh, I'd, I'd led a Bible study early afternoon and uh, I thought, wow, I'm making some progress. I mean, I'm making progress, I'm leading a Bible study. I never dreamed I'd do such a thing. Uh, backslidden Christian, now I'm trying harder. And then I, I had a gap before the evening meeting. It was an evening service. And uh, as a good Baptist, I used to go morning and evening. And uh, uh, yet I had time to kill. So I'm walking along Brighton Seafront. And as I'm walking along, I see a crowd on the lower promenade. There's two promenades in Brighton. I'm walking on the top. And down the bottom, there's a crowd. And I see people milling around. And I, I look over. And there's two elderly ladies. And they're singing and preaching the gospel and holding up banners. And it's dreadful. Uh, it's terrible. I mean, the cranky old voices and, 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 and people throwing cigarette packets and apple cores at them. And I mean, it's just horrendous. And I'm standing up saying, oh God, this is awful. I feel so bad. And I felt, Lord, why, why is it like this? And I, said, I felt God said to me, I called young men to do that. But these dear, frail ladies, they're willing to do it. Are you willing to do it? <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so forget it. I'm not doing that, you know. And then I hear two people in front of me. I mean, I can still kind of hear it almost. One turns to the other and says, look at those old fools. Why don't they keep their religion to themselves? And I felt God said to me, you may not be a preacher in the open air, but at least only to these guys. I couldn't. I never could. I couldn't. I just, I just went home and I got before God and I was broken. I said, God, I've got to have the Holy Spirit. I can't do it. I can't witness. I'm like Peter before who said, I'm not with him. I just found I couldn't do it. And so I went home and I pleaded. I got my knees to God, please. You know, you have turning points, don't you, in the Christian life. That was a big turning point for me. I got serious about it. I couldn't understand before, different guys says this and that, but now I wasn't content to say, okay, different people have different views. I had to get an answer. And I, I, I called somebody, I used to work uh, in town, and I traveled every day on the train from Brighton to Victoria, and used to meet a guy occasionally for lunch, and he was just the brightest witness I'd ever met. And I said to him, I phoned him on the Monday, I said, I want to see you. Can we have lunch? Yeah, sure. And, and we meet for lunch. And, and he's one of these guys that if you're sharing a table or there's someone near to you, he's witnessing to them straight away. And he's giving them a tract and talking to them. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I wish I wouldn't do that. And yet at the same time, wishing I could do that. This kind of torment inside that I'd love to be free like you are, but I'm not. And I said to him, this was my experience before I'd worked all this out, really. I said, what is it with you? And he said, oh, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, I must have what you've got. He said, oh, come to our church next Sunday. We'll pray for you. And so I went up to his church the next Sunday. And this is going back a long time. 
and uh, 1962. And uh, I, I before you even dreamed of it. And uh, I was in earnest. That Christianity was around before you were born. Okay, and. Uh, <laughs> And, and I was struggling, all right? I'm dying to serve Jesus, and I can't seem to do it. And uh, I went to his church, and, and it says, if anyone's thirsty, to come back to this verse, if anyone's thirsty, doesn't say if anyone's holy, doesn't say if anyone's really mature, doesn't say if anyone's really emptied out the glass, it just says, if anyone's thirsty. And God's got ways of making you thirsty. He made me very thirsty that day. I was desperate. I was desperate. I must get an answer. If anyone's thirsty, maybe you're thirsty today. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. Come to Jesus. It's quite simple. If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. For me, I, I went to this church to be prayed for. I think it was a mixture of right and wrong. Because the laying on of hands is perfectly biblical. We saw it in several of those illustrations. They laid hands, they laid hands. So I went for this guy to lay hands on me. And I sat in this church, and this guy came in, and he went around the room. There was a circle of guys who'd come to be prayed for. And uh, as he, I thought, here comes the man. Here comes the man. Here comes the man. And, and I think in that moment, I somehow stopped coming to Jesus, and I came to the man. He's going to do it for me. He'll do it for me. And uh, he came round and he laid his hands on my head. And guess what I felt? I felt hands on my head. And, uh, <laughs> and he prayed his prayer and he went out the door. And I'm devastated. I thought, hey, he didn't do it for me. And, and, and my friend said, well, you know, praise the Lord. And I said, what for? <laughs> I mean, I was really difficult. And I've had <coughs> a lot of patience with people over the years because I think I was the worst. I mean, I argued. I said, what, what for? They said, well, you know, you came, you asked, you prayed, you had to receive, just receive, receive. And we argued, I argued for quite a long time. They said, now just, look, didn't God promise you? Didn't, and we went through the scriptures again and again, didn't you do? I thought, no, it's true, I did what the Bible said. I came to London, I believed that God would meet with me. Yeah, I did, actually, yeah. Okay, well, I, I, it says in the Bible, Galatians 3, you received the Spirit through faith. And so I said, right, okay, I, I begin to thank God thank you, Lord, for giving me the Spirit. And they said, great, great, great. Because in that moment, I think I got my eyes off Jesus, I got my eyes on a man. So this guy had long gone, and they said, no, come look, this is what Jesus said, come to me. So I'm, I said, thank you, Lord, thank you. They said, well, praise him in tongues then. I said, oh, come on. No, just praise him, just do it, just speak out. Now that's where you have a battle in your mind. Just speak out. The Bible says you have to become as a little child. I mean, it almost takes a little child to do that. If you're a sophisticated person, you don't do that sort of thing. You become a little child, you just have to speak out. And, and I, th I thought, well, just speak, you just speak. What, what comes, just what comes, say it. That's so childish. And so I did it. After battling. And I did it for a while, and I thought, oh, you're just making up sounds, and I stopped. And then they said, no, what? that was great. And I said, well, I don't know, I think I was just making up things. And they said, no, no, just do it again. You just do it. So I thought, oh, I don't know, okay. So I did it again. And I'm doing it, and I'm just speaking it out, speaking it out, speaking it out. And then, and then they said to me, you're very clever making all this up. And you know, when they said that, I just, we all laughed. 
And I just relaxed, and I began again, and I felt a surge of power go pouring right through me. I just felt the power of the presence of the Spirit. And, and, and it, just, it just changed it just changed everything. I, I felt the, the closeness of God. I felt Abba Father took on meaning, the intimacy, the nearness of God. I'd been a Christian four years. I knew God was my Father. I knew it, but I'd never felt it before. I never felt like, whew, the witness like this. And actually, this was just before an evening meeting uh, on the Sunday, uh, early evening, and um, they went into the evening meeting. It was quite a big church building. I sat right in the back. Most of the other people were sitting towards the front. I spoke in tongues right through their evening meeting. Put my hand over my mouth. I never stopped. I never, ever thought I'm making this up. I'd come, I had that battle in my mind at first, which I know many have. I had it. I know many have it. But I pressed through that. And when I pressed through it, it just poured out, poured out, poured out. And if you'd said, oh, you're making that, no, 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 you don't understand. It's just pouring out of me. I had the privilege then when I went home, I went back to my Baptist church. A few weeks later, we had a, con a, 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 a retreat, weekend retreat. And we used to do it every year. And uh, it was an afternoon in the program when it said, um, we go for a walk. And it poured with rain. And the pastor said, oh, we'll have another session. And come on, might as well have a session. So let's make it informal. Let's make it question and answer. So it was about 70 young people, and we we're having this weekend retreat. We're all sitting around this big room, sitting on the floor and on the chairs. And uh, so he said, let's just testify. He said, then he turned to me without any warning. He said, Terry, something's happened to you lately. What's happened to you? I thought, oh, Father. And I've been praying I might have a chance to witness, but I didn't know how in my Baptist church in 1962. And... Uh, so I told them, I'd been off to the Pentecostals, they'd laid hands on me, and I now speak in tongues. And when I finished, there was silence, absolute silence. And he said to me, in front of everybody, he said, you must lay hands on all these young people, and I'll come at the end of the queue. And I had the privilege of laying hands on a number of those young people, and lives got changed. And on a Sunday afternoon, we started getting together a little group and some started singing, and we went down to that same seafront, and uh, stood on that seafront, and they sang, and I stood on a box and preached a thing I never ever dreamed I'd ever be able to do. And these others got up and gave their testimony. This whole young people's group came alive as the Spirit was poured on one and another. The Holy Spirit just came to them. They just said, we're thirsty, we're thirsty, we're thirsty. You see, it says, he that believes in me, out of their hearts shall flow rivers of living water. A new, a new experience of the Spirit of God. It's free. It's free. You just believe. I was with a couple in my church uh, sometime later when I was a pastor, and they came around. They said, they said would you come around to our home, actually, and uh, tell us about receiving the Spirit? I said, of course I will. I went to their home, and we're just sitting there, and we're halfway through the evening, and the guy says to the, his wife, um, would you make a coffee dish? She goes out to the kitchen, and uh, I'm kind of halfway through my explanation. And then she runs back in from the kitchen and says, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. And I thought, I haven't finished my explanation yet. I didn't get to lay hands on you. But she understood, no, the promise is for me. It's accessible. And she just prayed, I'm halfway through, and she just prayed in the kitchen, the Spirit of God filled her. She came running back in the room. 
I remember a couple where a girl got saved in the morning meeting when we used to be in the hired school room as a church and uh, she, she got saved. I had the privilege of leading her to Christ. At the end she said, is there more? Is there more? I said, actually there is. I think she sensed, like you might in this meeting, there's more, there's some power. What, what is there? What else is there? I said, well, come to my home next weekend. I'll explain to you about receiving the Spirit. She came the following weekend. She brought a friend with her. And the friend said, I don't know what happened to Celia last week. She says she became a Christian. I would like to become a Christian. She's so changed. So I had the joy of leading this second girl to Christ. Then Celia said, I don't forget what I came for. What is this? <laughs> so I went through this teaching about receiving the Spirit. And so Celia said, well, can I receive them? I said, of course you can. She's been saved a week. Of course you can. These guys at Ephesus have been saved seconds, minutes. She's been saved a week. Yeah, of course you can. And then this other girl says, can I have this as well? She's been saved 20 minutes. So I said, of course. So I laid hands on both of them. The Spirit fell on both of them. They both started singing in tongues. They went on their way very happy. <laughs> one's been saved 20 minutes, one's been saved a week. The promise is for us. It's not for very special people. It's not for very holy people. It's for everyone that the Lord our God shall call, it says in Acts 2. The promise of the Spirit is for us. But we can see here, through these various stories, it's not like when you've got it anyway, it, it, they laid hands on people. And the Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues. And their lives were empowered. And we've seen that happen now over decades as the Spirit's been poured out more and more people and spiritual gifts and the church has come alive with fresh courage and fresh life and churches have been formed and leaders have been raised up and there's been an energy factor behind that that has released the church of God and many have been filled with the Holy Spirit. The promise then, as I wind up now, the promise is for you. It's for everyone. Jesus stood up and said, if anyone's thirsty, come to me. And drink, this he spoke about the Spirit, which those who believed in him were to receive. But the Spirit wasn't yet. Because why? Well, he wasn't yet glorified. Once he was glorified, it's freely available. Freely available. So it's been our privilege down through the years to lay hands on lots and lots of people, see them get filled with the Spirit. Maybe tonight you think, well, I'd love to be filled with the Spirit. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to serve you in that way. And uh, there'll be people here who pray with you. I'd be very happy to pray with you. God wants to give his Holy Spirit to us. So let's just stand and we pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your promise to give the Spirit to those who ask. We just want to receive, drink that in, Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you. I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for the vitality that's here. I thank you for people who hear your voice and sense your nearness and celebrate you. Lord, you know, Lord, we know, you know us each one, Lord. You know where we are individually. And Father, we just individually so much want to receive from you. And so Lord, we just pray, would you bless each one that's with before you?